Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. This is Dr. Simon, who for the second time this week, I don't remember ever doing that before, although that might be true, I am doing the show called The Stories We Live By. And... I did a show on, uh, today is Wednesday, on Monday, about uh, what I I felt about Jewish people, people of my tribe, uh, backing Trump and being excited by Trump, uh, in terms of uh, the the general consensus among uh, the the intellectual section of the Republican Party, the terror they have of him. But I, I... focused on the fact that I believe that he is unleashing that group of people in the United States who are angry. And people who are angry at Muslims, and many of these same people don't like blacks, also don't like Jews. And so when Jews uh, uh, go along with the idea that uh, Trump would be good for Jewish people, especially if he says he's for Israel, uh, and they live here, um, that is a mistake, that uh, the passions that are being aroused are in people, many of whom uh, think Jews have horns and tails. I had a conversation with somebody I like very much. After, yesterday, after the, we heard about the Brussels attack, and my feeling is the same as this person's, Um, I'll leave the sex out and the person out. That's not really important. Um, A feeling of revulsion comes over me. Um, I hate these people who are doing this. I'd like to see them dead. That's the passion I feel. And she shared or he shared the same thing uh, that I feel and feels that um, Trump is strong And he will, as he keeps saying, wipe them out, blow them up. Um, If he captures them, he'll go worse than waterboarding. He'll apparently do all kinds of torture. Um, and, And the people that we're dealing with are people who are caught up in this narrow edge of tribal religion in which their capacity to believe two things, one, that people of a different tribe, anybody who disagrees with them uh, as to the idea of their religion, their interpretation of the Koran, are uh, uh, an enemy uh, who deserves death. Uh, and the second thing is that a fanaticism, a fanatical belief in the idea that if they die killing their enemies, they will go to heaven. And so we see something relatively rare, uh, and that is suicide bombs. This is not something that's new. It's not something that hasn't happened many, many times before. Um, I mean, it happened in the Crusades, 
when um, uh, good Christians went to the Holy Land to take it out of Muslim hands and the slaughter that went on there of Christian on Muslim and Muslim on Christian was horrendous and still hasn't been forgotten or forgiven uh, 700 years later. So this is nothing new. The question is, when we're in a rage like this, and uh, Trump is wonderful at arousing the rage and focusing it, and uh, what I talked about Monday, doing something. We've got to do something. Uh, and it's, the talk is all violence, and the talk is bluster and chest-thumping. You end up very often, if not always, making it worse. But on a psychological level, uh, if you go back a year, I did a, but I was a very happy show I did. Not a show that was happy, but I was happy to do it. Uh, I called the zombification of, of America, uh, and I talked about monsters. And uh, I had come across a definition of a monster, which is a creature that looks human. It can be taken for a human being, but has no pity and no ability to see the damage it does uh, and the pain it creates in other people. Now, of course, I don't believe there are real zombies. I don't believe there are real um, uh, 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 vampires. I don't believe there are real werewolves. However, they are a metaphor. And they are a metaphor, I believe, and I talked about last year, a capacity for human beings when they believe in their own total righteousness, when they have now dehumanized members of another group, their capacity uh, to inflict pain and torture is enormous, and they become like monsters. The problem is there are no real monsters. There are only human beings behaving like monsters. But inside, they're still human beings. And we really don't know what the effect is on individual Muslims and how Muslims feel about young men blowing themselves up. And one of the pictures that disturbed me so greatly in the Brussels, there was two uh, little strollers for very small children that were empty. And I don't even want to know what happened to those children. Uh, it's just too awful to contemplate and too monstrous. And it seems to me that what uh, our military uh, is afraid of and what our politicians, and this includes Cruz and I don't know who else, uh, when Cruz says, well, carpet bomb and bomb all of the Middle East so that the desert glows, that we're talking about us becoming monsters. It is in all of history, when a society goes monster, it destroys itself. It eats itself out from the inside. Right? Because after the Muslims go, the blacks will go, the Jews will go. Uh, that kind of rage and that kind of, of blind rage and monstrosity, behaving monstrosity, monstrously, ends up in self-destruction, the destruction of the entire culture. And I worry about our culture, which still has 
many beautiful things within it. Um, I went to the ballet a couple of weeks ago. I have another one in another couple of weeks. Uh, is there anything more beautiful than that music? And those young people working so hard to do something that is gloriously beautiful uh, and self-control and, and passionate, but passion expressed in, in the, with the best kind of control and the highest kind of art. So what I wanted to do today in my remaining time is set the scenario for those of you who know someone uh, and do what I do as a psychologist when somebody comes into my office or I used to see somebody desperate to do something in a rage, in a fury, and a fury that the person I was talking to generated by a terrible fear that it's going to happen here. And I think it could happen here. Uh, and the best of our intelligence may not be able to stop all these events. But they don't bring us down when this happens. And the chances are much greater that one of us or any of us will be shot to death by some guy with a gun who, who is airing a personal grievance than we will by some terrorist. We have to fight these individuals, but we have to do it with science, with intelligence, with reason, and not flying off the hook with rage. So I said, look, tell me about somebody in your family who is in their early 20s. And this individual told me about a much-loved grandchild who's 21. I have a grandchild, 21. So I'm going to do something I always did with individual patients and other people who, if, I, if they had the time and were willing to do it, is create a scene and not think about it globally, but think about these events and what they're going to do in very specific person, uh, very specific situations, one person on another person. Uh, a few years ago, I went to Israel and I visit uh, Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Memorial. And it's one thing to say that the six million people died. Uh, in, in the Holocaust, and we could add three million Poles and two million gypsies. But as Stalin said, when you talk about millions dying, you're talking statistics. When you talk about individuals and you visualize the individuals, it's a totally different story. Then it becomes tragedy and tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. So that the, the uh, Yad Vashem has wall after wall after wall of family pictures of people who died in the Holocaust. And these were just people living their life. Whether they were Jews or anybody else, they got up in the morning and they brushed their teeth and they had breakfast and struggled to get their kids educated and fed. And they all died horrible, painful, pitiless deaths. And this is what is being proposed when Donald Trump says we have to go after their families. So I want you to think about, I'll think about my grandchild and you think about your grandchild. And they're in the army. And they're going after the families of the enemy. Because this is not particularly overly hypothetical. We don't know the full extent to which somebody out of fear and terror 
a strong man decides that other people's children should go do the killing and put, as the expression goes, a lot of boots on the ground. So I want you to think about the face of your loved one who smiles, who goes out on dates, who loves grandma and grandpa, loves his parents, has brothers and sisters, goes to school, has dreams and future of being a doctor, a lawyer, a bridge builder, something, whatever. Plays tennis, plays golf, plays baseball. Kids around with his younger siblings who look up to him as their hero. Think about that person. And now they're on a sweep through a village. The soldiers, the fighters of ISIS or the fighters of Al-Qaeda, they're not there now. And this young man that you care so much about has been trained as a soldier to follow orders and kill. Although, let me backtrack a second, he is not allowed by our conventions of war to kill innocent individuals. So that when Mr. Trump says we'll go after the families, he is talking about our young people committing war crimes. And I even have questioned whether our generals will go along with any kind of an order to go after, directly after, not collateral damage, but go directly after the uh, 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 families of terrorists by individuals that we're turning into monsters and terrorists. Because this is what is happening. This is America potentially going to lose its soul and ultimately lose whatever is good that's left in its culture. Because acting in rage and sending off young people to do horrendous, heinous things is in nobody's interest, and it's not effective in stopping the, 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 the uh, carnage on the other side. Uh, it'll last a thousand years. They'll still be seeking revenge. Well, anyway, you're a young person. Visualize this. You can close your eyes, keep them open walks into this hut or a house or whatever, and there is a pregnant woman, eight months pregnant, crying and terrified and holding a three-year-old girl and two-year-old boy on her lap. And his orders are, implicitly, go after, do damage to these people. What does he do? What would you want him to do? Well, let's say he goes and he kills them. What I want you to think about is how does he go about doing that? When the Nazis at Baba Yar killed pregnant women and mothers of young children, they had the mother hold the baby to her breast, and to save bullets, they fired at the mother through the baby or the young child. So... They pitched over backwards into the pit where they would be later covered up. And this was saving bullets. It was a two-for-one deal. I'll tell you a story when this is finished about a Vietnam vet that I treated way back in the 70s uh, after he came back a very different human being than he went uh, because he, he went as a soldier, came back a human being, but not the same human being that became the soldier. Can't happen. Won't happen. What is he to do? Does he save his bullets? 
Does he shoot the woman through the belly, killing the fetus? Does he kill her and leave the fetus alive? What does he do to the two-year-old and the three-year-old? There were times when soldiers used to take these babies and bash their heads against the wall. They're not very easy to kill that way. Not very hard, I'm sorry, to kill that way. Think about this. Picture your loved one under orders to kill a pregnant woman, a two-year-old and a three-year-old, sitting and crying, unarmed, not dangerous. Think about it. Because that is what's being said here. And that, the very nice, caring person I spoke to yesterday, wants done to protect us from those terrorists. Will it? No. Will it create a rage and a hatred that will only increase the number of people becoming terrorists to swear vengeance on their innocent loved ones? But think about that. Now let me ask you, let's say you're a young man or woman, because women now go into combat. I I guess must be sexist. Because, well, I can imagine a man trying to maybe doing this. Have trouble with a woman killing a fetus and two young children, two infants in effect. What if your loved one can't pull the trigger? What if he can't do it? Do you realize that under the Articles of War, he's a coward? He's disobeying orders? He could be tried? He could... For treason, he could go to jail. He could be put in jail for the rest of his life. He could be put to death. This is a wartime situation. And disobeying orders is a very serious offense. Whatever this individual does, his life or her life will never be the same. They will not come home the same. And let's say in the sweep through this village... This loved one of yours has to kill more than one boy and one girl and one pregnant woman. Maybe they have to kill everybody in the village. How will they come home? I'll tell you an interesting story. In the 70s, the late 70s and early 80s, I treated a goodly number of of vets that came back from Vietnam, which was, again, an illegal, awful, bloody war that damaged America, it damaged its moral standing, it damaged its economy. It was horrendous. Um, Fought because of of religious reasons. Cardinal Spellman um, said these are godless communists, and as godless communists you can kill as many of them in effect because they're not human. Same thing we're talking about. But they were human, they are human. And I had a, a, one vet who was on the back of a truck pulling out of a village and a pregnant, young pregnant woman, she was in her teens, he thought was going to throw something on the back of the truck. Now, it's possible she was. And so in order to protect the individual, she's now a combatant because the, the, the Vietnamese used children and women as combatants because they were hoping, and sometimes they got what they wanted, that American soldiers had real trouble shooting 
children and shooting women, in this case, a pregnant woman. But he fired. And she literally, he said, was cut in half by the, by the, the fuselage, that, that, that the bullets that hit her, and the fetus came out of her stomach and fell on the road. What compounded the horror is that in Viet, when, during the Vietnamese War, you, you couldn't talk about winning or losing by taking over land. <clears throat> you would take a hill or a village on one day, and they would take it back on the next. So they, the military and all of their intelligence and all of their glory <clears throat> decided uh, that winning and losing was based upon kill ratio. Okay? Um, at the end of the, that horrendous seven years of war, somebody added up all the people that we supposedly killed, and it came to more than the total number of individuals in both North and South Korea. But in any event, well, you know the old story, <coughs> the first thing that uh, dies in war is the truth. But in any event, uh, this is what happened, and he later discovered that he was given a medal for two kills the fetus and the woman, the young girl who was pregnant, were each a kill, a legitimate kill. And he couldn't bear this. He was not a monster. When he came to me about eight years after he came home, um, he couldn't sleep. He couldn't close his eyes because the picture of this woman cut in half and the picture of this bloody fetus lying in the dirt as his truck pulled away was not something he knew how to integrate. Now, of course, in our wonderful way of denying the horror of war and what it does to the soldiers that are sent to war, who never come back exactly as they went, and, and many of whom came back, as he did, on alcohol and drugs, because with enough alcohol and enough drugs, he could close his eyes and fall asleep, or actually more likely pass out. This was real. He was a decent human being. And the death was real. And he caused it. And no matter how justified it was, it was still a horror, a monstrosity. We diagnosed him post-traumatic stress disorder. He didn't a disease. He didn't need drugs. He had his own drugs. What he needed was forgiveness. What he needed was an understanding. What he needed was to forgive himself. And he couldn't do it. I asked him if he was religious, because if he was, I was hoping he'd be Catholic. Because if he were Catholic, he could go and confess, and the priest, in the name of God, would give him forgiveness. Whether or not that would work is another story, but maybe it would. And maybe then he could stop the alcohol and the drugs and the crap that a psychiatrist in my clinic gave him and go on with some semblance of his life. Smile again. Take joy in something. Have sex, not being stoned, and enjoy the act. Go to a movie and laugh. I had one after another after another. I had a policeman who committed 
uh, a justifiable homicide on somebody who was about to shoot him. Good human being. He said, I know I did what I had to do. I know I was cleared of wrongdoing. I know I was given a commendation. He said, but I took a life. I watched this man die. He was my age. I watched him die. I made him die. In my story that I'm telling today, making real human beings and putting them in situations like this avoids making them statistics. It avoids all the defenses. It avoids all the nonsense of saying, well, he can't get on with his life because he has post-traumatic stress disorder, a mythical illness to be treated with chemicals. I don't know what happened to this policeman. It turned out he had to come see somebody because they gave him a desk job afterwards and they were afraid. No matter how justified the homicide, the police force knew that nobody is the same after they take a life. Taking another life, unless you really are a monster, is very hard to live with and justify. It twists and warps the individual as a human being who took the life. What I'm talking about, possibly in Syria or Iraq, is ten times worse. Because no one will be shooting at you when you shoot back in self-defense. This is going to be a pregnant woman and little children. And that, what Donald Trump is suggesting, should be our effort to beat the terrorists. It's a monstrosity. It's awful. It won't work. It doesn't make sense. But sense is being thrown out the window as rage and anger and hate and fear become the norm. And our political leaders, not all of them, feel that this kind of bloody, endless violence and twisting the lives of our soldiers and making them or thinking about them causing, creating war crimes, having war crimes on their conscience, and closing their eyes and seeing the dead bodies of children that they killed, that this is what makes sense. Um, See the picture Sniper. Very interesting picture. In which in one scene, one of my favorite scenes, uh, I forget the names, I forget everybody's name. A little boy is carrying some kind of a device towards our soldiers. And he keeps praying, the sniper, please let him put it down and run away. And he cocks his gun and he would kill that child. He'd had to, to protect his soldiers, his own soldiers. It would be justified. But deep in his heart, he knew he would never be the same. He couldn't be the same. Whatever justification it was, the killing of this child. And that particular scene turns out all right. The little boy throws it down and he runs skipping off to play. Right? As child, who is a child because he's not an adult and who knows not what he is doing. So, I have two minutes to go on the air. Um, this is my show for today. This is my story. I want anybody to think about this. If you're going to talk to somebody about politics, think about the consequences 
the effectiveness of what it is your leaders are suggesting that we do as a nation, that what we do with our military and what we do uh, uh, to, to other human beings uh, who are human no matter how monstrous they are behaving. I fear for us, I do fear for us, because as a species, we are capable, all of us in groups and even as individuals, of becoming monsters, zombies, flesh-eating zombies, blood-drinking vampires. But deep down, we will remain human, and we will have lost what is most precious to us as human beings, our humanity. So, I think that's it. I have 50 seconds. I'm going to wait the 50 seconds. Maybe somebody is there. Somebody wants to call. Somebody wants to argue. Somebody wants to agree. I have a feeling I'm going to be doing a lot of shows over the next couple of uh, months. I may do almost every day. I feel better when I do this. It's my therapy. It's going to rain Friday. I won't be able to play my golf game, and I didn't play today. Oh, God, how awful. But not as bad as some things, huh? Okay, bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.